Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. We're down to just the two of us today, myself and Amy Bird, as our friend Todd Pruitt is temporarily absent. Regular listeners to the podcast will know that for for some years now, Todd has been self-identifying as a PCA minister, or as he would Hmm. say, teaching elder. And this has caused immense distress and upset to his loved ones. And so we finally persuaded him this week to to enter into Presbyterian rehab in order to try to help him out with this difficulty. But that sadly means we're just down to two of us on the team today, myself and Amy. And we want to discuss a development that we noticed on the internet in the last few weeks, and that is the desire of Joshua Harris, who used to be a pastor in the, the Sovereign Grace group of churches, to produce a documentary reflecting upon his book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, 20 Years On. Many of you will know that this was an extremely influential book. Uh, Amy told me that for women of her generation, the generation after me, that is, uh, (laughs) of her generation, this was an extremely important book in determining and shaping discussions about dating and romantic relationships among young people in the church. That was what, in the 1950s, Amy? (laughs) The book came out in 1997, which uh, is also the year I got married. So, 20 years ago. 20 years ago. So, 20th anniversary of this book, and Josh Harris appears to be having profound second thoughts about the advisability of the advice that he gave in that context. What are your thoughts, 20 years on, on the advice in that book, Amy? Before we get to to Joshua, what do you think about the book now, 20 years on? Oh, yeah. Well, the book, I think he really, you know, he was 21 years old when he wrote it. Um, I think that he had all the good intentions in the world, and he was reacting to a lot of the um, sexual revolution and casual hookup culture that we grew up in, yet in a way that probably was picking up on a lot of teachings he was learning in in his own church and environments that he was in, but that it's terribly reductive. The whole idea of kissing, dating, goodbye promotes an over-sexualization on the church's part, really, of men and women, um, maturing men and women, and all of a sudden, we're looking at the opposite sex through the lens of sexuality, being you know, consuming one another. So, could you give, for those like myself who've never read a single book on dating in our entire lives, <laughs> could you give a, a 30-second summary of his argument and why it was so significant radical? Mm-hmm. Well, I never, I did not read the book cover to cover, but I certainly listened to all these interviews and was a part of many conversations of people talking about this book. And from what I gather, he introduces courtship, or doesn't introduce it, but affirms the whole courtship process that you're not going to date somebody unless you have the intention to marry them. Even in his own relationship after that, there's a sequel to the book. He and his fiance at the time 
did not even kiss until their wedding day. Wow. Now, they, don't, they didn't advise that everyone should do that. Like, they didn't say it was sinful to kiss before your wedding day. But um, this is how extreme that they took this I kiss dating goodbye theory. And everything, all affection and intimacy goes into this ultimate relationship of marriage. And I, I do think that that causes a real problem because friendship is, is intimacy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Even before we get to the content of the book, then one of the things that would concern me about this whole thing is, you say this guy was 21 when he wrote 20, this book. Yeah, and he says that in this, you know, crowdfunding for this documentary now. Yeah, yeah. That's remarkably young to be writing a right. book on relationships. <laughs> and one has to say, you know, shame on Christian publishers right. for for exploiting mm-hmm. this young man in that particular way. I mean, obviously, Christian publishers are in the game of producing books that sell. We live in a culture which is hooked on the crack cocaine of youth culture Mm -hmm. and the youth market. And yet, there has to be some kind of responsibility, I think, exerted by publishers in this sort of situation, not to make big shots out of those who, and obviously I think Joshua Harris acknowledges this now, those who are simply not qualified to be big shots because of their youth and inexperience. I remember a few years ago being at a mini conference thing where a a Christian rap artist who'd only been converted for a couple of months was being showcased and did this rap about Christology and I think committed at least five Christological heresies in this rap. Oh, no. And there was a sort of feeling of, well, this young man is clearly wanting to serve the Lord, using right. his skills, etc., etc. Shame on the men who should know better who've given him a stage before he's actually competent right. to be a teacher. Yeah, and I think that my first reaction to this story is, what on earth was this publisher thinking about when mm-hmm. they published a book by a 21-year-old on relationships? That is a disaster right. in the Because Young people, you know, they soaked it up because here are, you know, young men and women who don't want to be a part of the hookup culture, who do want to glorify God in their relationships, just like him, and he could relate to them, and he's giving these answers, And so everyone embraced this courtship model. And um, 20 years later, there have been many articles written about the damage that it's done. I mean, for a start, doesn't it raise the the stakes rather intensely on, you know, whether you call it courtship or dating, you're still going out with somebody. Yeah, but all this weight is involved in it now. Like you can't just ask somebody out for a burger to get to know them and, and just enjoy their presence for a little while. It's, this question of marriage is on the table. Are you marriage material? Um, it's very heavy. And very destructive. Very yeah, destructive. It, it is, I think it makes it harder to get to know somebody. And dating becomes the status that is you know, now looked at badly. But instead of you know, an activity, yeah. something you do. I mean, one of the complaints I've heard from young women is that you know, guys these days are too slow to commit. They're not willing to commit etc, etc, etc. And there may be some truth in that. Mm-hmm. I'm not denying that. But I, I think also from the other perspective that a guy should, should be able to take a girl out for a burger without it being a proposal of marriage. 
right there has to be this yeah guys need to commit more but maybe maybe some people need to to commit a little bit less in the early yeah. stages everything is so intense all of a sudden and a lot of this has to do too with the the sexual tension and so young women and young men are now viewed more as sexual temptations you know threats to your purity yeah uh, before marriage. And, you know, we look at scripture and and we are addressed as brothers and sisters in Christ over and over again, over 500 times. We know how to treat brothers and sisters. We know how to look at brothers and sisters. And, and that's what's kind of disappointing about this being a documentary. Um, you know, it's this very trendy new media outlet now, this independent filmmaking, kind of personalized storytelling. It's it's the new journalism. And instead of giving us a better theology of relationships between the, the sexes, we're going to have this kind of anecdotal documentary if yeah. they raise the funds for it. Well, it's a very, dare I say it, uh, it's a very American thing to do as well. You know, if you've got lemons, make lemonade. If, uh, blame everything uh, on Americans. I do. I do pretty much, pretty much. Um, it's not that easy. I, no, actually, it's not entirely for it. I, I blame some things on the Welsh and the French, uh, but primarily <laughs> Americans. But no, it's, uh, the serious point is, and this is one of the positives about America, is if you've got lemons, you make lemonade, right? You have this can-do mentality. Uh-huh. Well, you know, if you've got mistakes, market your mistakes, you know, yeah. or market your repentance. I have a slight problem with somebody saying, hey, I screwed up 20 years ago, but now I'm going to set it all right by, you know, by refuting myself kind of thing. Well, and, and the one thing that made him so popular was how personalized his book was. And yeah. documentaries are the new personalized storytelling, right? And we see in this, the advertisement on Kickstarter to raise the funds, they promise that this process can be a powerful journey yeah. for all of us. I saw so the J word. like the psychological tool, really. Oh, and, and I know documentaries are like that. I mean, people change entire worldviews that they held after yeah. watching maybe three documentaries. I see well, it happen all the time. It's a powerful narrative medium, and you know, without wanting to sound too postmodern, narratives are very, very powerful. The use of the J word there, while it makes my skin crawl, is <laughs> it's most certainly uh, something that's significant in modern culture. You know, join him on his journey. That's going to carry you along. Yeah, you but, become part of the story then, yeah. too. You know, it's your journey as well. Yeah. Something you said earlier did make me think about, you know, greeting each other with a holy kiss. Right. One of the most terrifying verses in the Bible. Actually, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to kiss people. I don't want to hug people. Yeah, just shake my hand. That's perfectly adequate. There was a great article actually in the Spectator the other week about banning the man hug. Uh, yes, I read it. you wow, said I, I wish right? I'd written that. But to go back, it does indicate that the church not only tolerated but encouraged a certain amount of affection. physical intimacy and affection between between men and women. Now, the history, of course, is that the Holy Kiss really falls out of, I, th- I think it's late second century, the Holy Kiss falls out of favor because certain ministers spot the fact that it's only the attractive young women who are getting the Holy Kiss. <laughs> so, it does have a slightly less uh, reputable history after the closing of the canon. But clearly, the, the language of brothers and sisters, the greeting of the Holy Kiss, the fact that the apologists of the second century have to counter allegations of incest, which I think arises out of the 
prevalence of the language of love and of brotherhood and sisterhood within the church when the Romans are, you know, pagans are looking right. on, seeing what's going on, that indicates that the church did not have this tremendous sexual hang-up, if you like, no. about a physical proximity and affection that we now have. Yes, and it's interesting because I'm hearing from a lot of singles who are really affected by that because, you know, we have put all of our eggs in the marriage basket when it comes to um, affection and intimacy. And this is like the ultimate relationship that we're to have. And um, it's everything's romanticized. But for singles, then it's suspect to, you know, touch on the shoulder <laughs> or to hug, God forbid, a holy kiss. So, singles are, are kind of starving in some ways for just affection. They don't get to have any. I mean, here we're called brothers and sisters in God's household. And it, it shows us that, you know what, brother and sisterhood, that really is our longest lasting relationship. Yes. Not marriage. Indeed. And And we're <clears throat> going to be, what are we going to be on the new heavens and the new earth? We're still brothers and sisters in Christ, but marriage doesn't carry over. We're going to be eternal brothers and sisters. Mm. So, how does that change the way that we relate to one another? Yeah. I mean, there's a great paranoia about touch in the broader culture, of course, Mm -hmm. that the the church has absorbed. And yet, when you look at Scripture, touch is very important. I was just reading in, in my devotions this morning, Mary washing Jesus's feet with her hair. Right. Now, How intimate is that? You know, <laughs> We're not Jesus, say, but still. I mean, if I was, you know, after church on Sunday, one of the girls came up and washed my feet with her hair, <laughs> that would be, yeah, that's a very intimate, and, and I'm not advising that, by the way, please don't encourage people to <laughs> yeah, do that right. in church. But the, but the point is, touch is very significant. When you think back to Diana, Princess of Wales, going and visiting the AIDS patients, and the, that photograph of her touching the guy yeah. was very, very powerful because she was touching him. Right. Uh, when Jesus touches people mm-hmm. in Scripture, it's very, very powerful and significant and profound. And, and the, the guardrails we're putting up around bodily contact, I think, mm-hmm. flies in the face of what Scripture teaches about the importance right. of bodily contact and capitulates to what the world says about bodily contact. Right. I think that we have taken our cue from Billy Crystal in some ways, who, you know, stated very boldly in When Harry Met Sally, which was also wow, that I think it's almost 30 years old, that men and women can never be friends because the sex part always gets in the way. Yeah. Yeah. And basically, I think the church in a lot of ways has used Billy Crystal theology in the way that we relate to one another. Yes, and I think, again, it plays back. I hate to – well, no, I don't hate. I love to, to – Yes, you do. Week after week <laughs> that sex has become something we are, not something we do. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we now think of ourselves as primarily sexual beings – raises all kinds of problems. Not only, I think, is it fundamentally unscriptural, it screws up everything. I'd, maybe I'd rephrase Billy Crystal and say, men and women can no longer be friends because we think of ourselves as fundamentally sexual beings. That's just not uh, as catchy, that, Carl. That's not as catchy, but I think technically <laughs> it is more accurate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really, we've totally skipped this huge, huge, wonderful gift that God yeah. has given us in this yeah. household of brother-sisterly love yes. and, and friendship. 
And how are we then going to be in a household of God where we have a common mission and we're supposed to have harmony in this common mission and union? Love one another, have peace with one another, teach one another, welcome one another, bear with one another, greet one another with a holy kiss. You know, how are we to do all of that? Yeah. I remember when we brought you onto the podcast and it was shortly after you'd written that controversial article on bikinis. (laughs) (laughs) We had a lady sending in email after email to head office. And the one line I remember was, so now we're going to be subjected to the, uh, the vision of Dr. Truman discussing scantily clad women with a woman who isn't his wife week after week. And it was shocking to me that the addition of, of a woman on the podcast automatically sent serious alarm bells about morality off Mm -hmm. somebody out there. On one level, I could see where she's coming from because that's the kind of world we live in. But we don't have to capitulate to the mindset of the world. We can model something better. Isn't that what the church is supposed to do? Isn't the church supposed to model to the world true friendship? true love, good relationships that are going to last into eternity. I mean, isn't that a huge part of our calling is to show us what it is to be in God's household? Yeah, we are, the church is meant to be a little bit of heaven on earth. Most of us don't experience it as that. But the church is the inbreaking of the kingdom into mm-hmm. the present day. And therefore, the church should be organized and our friendships and relationships should be organized along kingdom lines, reflecting the reality that is to come, not the reality that the world around has constructed for us. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess um, we've kind of outran our time here, Carl. So uh, maybe we'll end with that. You know, I want to encourage our listeners you know, we can do this too. We can be popular too. And and if you go over to our podcast website at www.mortificationofspin.org, you, you can crowdfund. We can crowdfund for our podcast and you can leave a donation to continue with this podcast. And we continue with you, the journey, continue with this. Journey. Well, I was just going to say, we promise you that this will be a very powerful journey and a very powerful experience that you yeah. two- hey i'll use the j word if people are giving money <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm that much of an american i have to say <laughs> well thanks for listening and until next time we do hope that you enjoy your journey this week Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. To read more on hard-hitting topics like this, visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... You're dealing with kind of suffering that that the Christian looks up and really wonders, why is this happening to me? You know, it's like, is God good or or maybe even inept? You say, you want to know what God thinks about what happened to you? Let me take you to a bleeding and dying Savior. Well, God is sovereign, therefore it must be good. And that's not an adequate response to Job's suffering, and therefore not a response to, to the suffering of people we may come across who are suffering on a daily basis. That interview is next time. Join us then. 
Well, I remember being at a, a, a Sunday school at Cornerstone long before I was pastor where the guy was talking about how you needed to teach your children to brush their teeth because God had given them their teeth to glorify him with and it was sinful not to brush them. <laughs> Katrina turned to me afterwards and she said, no, she said, it's merely antisocial not to brush your teeth. It's not sinful. 